Welcome to Hello Universe, a podcast about spirituality in our everyday lives. We're your co-hosts, Kylie and Eva. Hi, Kylie. Hi, Eva. Hello, everybody out there in the podcast listening world. Thank you for tuning in for another episode. Yes. And so today we're going to start the top, top, top of the show talking about our awesome giveaway because Kylie and I are giving away some amazing prizes, but we've, we keep forgetting to talk about it on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. We get so excited to talk about like, I don't know, are the true nature of being that (laughs) whatever deep topic we're on that we just keep like skipping over our giveaway and we're so excited about it. So Uh, to celebrate the launch of this project that we love so dearly, we are giving away a couple of things. Uh, one Akashic record reading from me, a one 90 minute session mindset session with me, Eva, and three of our favorite books, including the new Chani Nicholas book. You were bored for this. Um, an Eckhart Tolle, a pocket Pema children, um, it's basically all like, the stuff you need. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a huge bundle package of like all of our favorite things. And we're so excited to give them away just to one lucky listener. Um, but in order to do that, uh, yeah, we need to one, let you know that it's happening. So originally the deadline was March 13th, but we've actually extended it to the end of the month, end of March. And um, it's actually really easy how to enter. It takes less than five minutes. Um, all you have to do is find Hello Universe on Apple Podcasts. Um, rate, subscribe, and write a review. And then the part that I think uh, is the really important piece so that to let us know that you um, are entering is that you take a quick screenshot and email the photo of your review to podcast at hellouniversepod.com. So again, just to reiterate, go to that iTunes or Apple podcast, scroll to the bottom of the sh- bottom of the show, and you'll see a spot where you can just click five stars and <laughs> <laughs> whatever review you want to write and then just send us a picture of it so we know uh who who it belongs to because we don't know all of your uh all of your uh, itunes handles yep. um and um we actually wanted to read one of the beautiful people have left some really beautiful reviews you were actually saying tonight when we're in a bad mood we just go and read uh, <laughs> these beautiful yeah. reviews yeah uh because the amount of love is just it's it's very humbling um and so we thought we would read one so thank you to eight underscore case who wrote hello new favorite podcast which i i just realized now is a pun on hello universe oh i see <laughs> <laughs> got it i missed that um uh finally the conversation i've been searching for in a podcast and i can't get enough i'm loving getting to know each of these amazing souls through the podcast and their unique guests this conversations have me completely engaged and leave me looking at my own spirituality with an open heart and mind oh i um, love it so much I yeah know. seriously like it really does uh it's such a mood lifter when i'm like cranky um it just brings all this warmth to my heart. So thank you so much for everyone who's already written a review, but not that many people have applied for the contest yet. So you still have a really good chance. Um, yeah. And, and those you, of you who yeah. have written, please, you can take a picture and send it to us. Yes, please, please, please. 
All right. So with that, let's do a quick check-in. Kylie, how are you? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Except, you know, I've been worrying about the coronavirus. <laughs> We've talked yep. about that a little bit. Yep. Um, I was planning on taking a trip to Ireland actually to do this workshop that I was so excited about. And then, um, to be honest, I wasn't really that worried about catching the virus so much, but something, someone did bring it to, to my attention that, um, you know, you never know what's going to happen a month from now. Cause I was trying to go in the beginning of April and like, they kind of got me spooked about not being able to enter the country again. Like they might close borders. And I was thinking, uh. I mean, there's definitely worse places to get stuck than Europe. But if there is, if the apocalypse happens, I don't want to be stuck anywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, it feels, I really don't want to live in a place of fear. And yet I can feel myself feeling afraid. Um, actually, I was really sick yesterday and today. Uh, and I slept for 18 hours straight. Which, which is am- amazing, by the way. That's like a Yes. Yeah. Um, but not a thing like my, my husband's sick. That's what he does. He just like sleeps like a bear until it's over. Um, but uh, when I first got sick, when it like kind of hit me, I felt really freaked out. I was surprised the level of fear that I had. My husband has asthma. And so I, I had this really deep fear that I was like, I got sick and I'm going to get everybody in my, my small children and my husband sick and they're all vulnerable and blah, blah, blah. Um, which I actually think is a metaphor. Like, I think that's a, that's symbolic of a other fear that I have of like not being enough for people and causing problems. Like, like mm-hmm. do you know I, mean? I think there was a way in which that fear was actually really about like, oh, I'm going to be the one that's going to ruin all yeah, like, of this. Like I'm responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I slept for 18 hours and I woke up and I didn't feel afraid anymore. <laughs> It's amazing how sleep can actually do that too. Just like rest yeah. also is so good for your mental health. When you're tired and you're feeling shitty, you're much more susceptible to negative thinking, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. So yeah, uh, yeah I don't have any like wise answers, but I do, I think it's important. I think it's important. I don't know if you feel afraid to take an <laughs> <laughs> If you feel afraid, that's the solution. If you're scared, get some sleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I just, I think, um, I do. I think, I don't think it's good to be in a place of fear. I mean, like stress limits our immune system, right? So mm-hmm. just like on a biological level, walking around being super freaked out is not great. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's It's a... It's, it's hard to, I also think that if you are feeling afraid, it doesn't do any good to tell yourself you're not afraid. Totally. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think you can accept like, like, oh, there's fear here. Right. And, um, I mean, when you fully accept it into your heart, I do believe that it dissolves a little bit Mm. because I think what's so painful is the the not the denial of fear when you're resisting that you're feeling afraid because you feel like you shouldn't just yeah really like feel it all yeah and and then watch it sort of dissolve a little bit but I do think um yeah it's interesting I've been the same way I don't want to live in a state of fear 
And something that has actually helped me, well, actually, first of all, let me rewind. I think what's really in, been interesting for me is to notice how quickly my mind goes to panic and fear. Mm. I, I don't think that's all, like, not all people do that. Some people are very reasonable and, and whatever, which is why I think I have to work extra hard. I think at, um, retraining my mind and doing all this like anxiety, anti-anxiety work that I do because my default really feels like it just automatically goes mm. into disaster mode. Or I think maybe I watch too many apocalypse movies, like, you know, zombie apocalypse or, and all of that stuff. So it like, <laughs> I like, I have, you it know, does feel a little bit like, <laughs> oh, we've all been preparing for this because we've <laughs> won, like read one too many post-apocalyptic novels. <laughs> yeah. My imagination goes so wild. Like I already have this vision or this image that this conversation that you and I are having, Kylie, uh, someone will listen to this in a year and be like, oh, this is when it was all starting. These girls were talking about it when it was all starting. And by that, by then, like 10% of the population will be dead. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, Eva, I want to give you a hug. <laughs> Seriously. Isn't it crazy? I mean, I, I can also, I don't know. I, I love, at the same time though, as, cra- as wild as it is, I love my very vivid imagination. Yeah. I think it's very Well, our strengths are our weaknesses, right? Like, uh, yeah. So your very vivid imagination can be very rewarding. And then when fear takes over, it's like, (laughs) taking (laughs) this detour. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, But something that has been helpful for me, and I've been thinking about this a lot, is that it really actually reminds me of how good life is. You know, when a disaster happens, and a disaster hasn't happened yet, but it just you know, it reminds me like when a disaster happens, what we usually do is we go back, back in time and think about, oh, look how life, how good life was before this disaster. And I was thinking, I don't have to do that. I can do that now because life actually still is good. Mm. And I, I can see that because like the possibility of a bigger life altering problem makes me see right now that I'm actually in the good times right now. And like, I feel so supported by the universe actually when I think about it that way, because all of my needs are completely met and Mm. it feels like I'm actually like being, you know, enveloped in like a warm, fuzzy blanket when I think that way, which then I really do think elevates my, the energy that I'm putting out there. Cause I'm no longer in a state of fear where I'm like just shooting out fear. I'm shoot, I'm like being held in this space of like appreciation and gratitude and comfort. And I think that actually perpetuates more appreciation, Mm. gratitude and comfort. Yes. That's beautiful. I think that that's, yeah, that's everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as you can see, I've been thinking about this a lot and also that's really helped me. So just sharing that with anybody out there who might also have a very active imagination. It's interesting too, because that's basically the transformation that happened for me. I literally like went to bed fell asleep at like five o'clock in the afternoon like feeling it hit me really fast and I was convinced like this is it this is terrible I've gotten everybody sick like my son wanted to lay in bed and watch a show with me and he and I like wouldn't let him because I you know couldn't breathe on him and then I slept for legit 18 hours and I woke up and that's actually the transition that happened is that I woke up and I thought I just felt in my body, oh, everything is good. Like mm. everything, this is good. Everything is good. 
it, this is all good. And, um, and I, you know, I was able to, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't have that same relationship to, to fear. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm joking about sleep being the miracle there, but I, I, I do think though, it's that I prioritized self-care in mm. when I needed it. Cause I woke, I did wake up like briefly at like eight 30 in the morning and like, I could have forced myself awake and worked for the day, but I was like, I think I still need to sleep, you yeah, know? And so yeah. I, I do think, I think choosing love and inhabiting the space of love and not shooting out fear I had a great visual <laughs> image to that and I think also prioritizing self-care whatever that might look like for you are two pretty valuable ways to get through and don't watch the news like yeah come on mm -hmm. guys turn yeah. the news off yeah 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 <laughs> turn the alerts off your phone like when you're going to like yeah. No. Especially don't watch, don't watch, don't read all that stuff before bed. Cause I think also yes. you're like when you're, before bed is when it's like the worst. Yep. So, yeah. Oh my God. This is such, I think I'm, I'm virtually high-fiving you Kylie. Cause I think this is very good advice. <laughs> I think this is very helpful. Uh, and in four days I will listen to this again when I need to hear it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, well, with all that being said, mm -hmm. I we should introduce today's episode. Yes. So today's guest, his name is Shane Wilson. Um, he actually runs a meditation center out here in Phoenix, Arizona, which is how I know him. And he has a really interesting story about what we call on the podcast, doing the monk monk thing. <laughs> <laughs> so he tells his personal story about that. Um, and we kind of take a deep dive into Buddhist, what did you call it? Buddhist. It's like a deep dive in Buddhist theology. I mean, yeah. mm -hmm. this is someone who like has really committed his life to, to Buddhism. And mm -hmm. so he has, you know, I think a lot of us who are interested in spirituality have like a book by the Dalai Lama on our shelf. right? Yeah. <laughs> and we've, you know, like read some stuff about Zen and, and, and are interested in it. Um, and it's really interesting, I think, to hear someone speak about it, who's really lived his life, you know, committed to learning and growing. Like Buddhism is the framework by which he has dug in with curiosity and spirituality. And I think that's a really interesting viewpoint for those of us who are like, like Buddhism light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. But as you'll hear in the, in the conversation, I'm just like a little puppy dog so eager to hear about his experience. I'm just like asking a gazillion questions because this is totally kind of up my alley since, you know, meditation is kind of my thing and yeah, he lives this life. So anyway, hopefully you all will be as excited about this conversation as I was. Um, I think it's a really great conversation. All right. Enjoy. Our guest today is Shane Wilson. He's a pastoral counselor, grief recovery specialist, and meditation teacher. He's the author of two books, and in 2001, he opened the Meditation Learning Center in Mesa, Arizona. Welcome, Shane. Yeah, thank you, Eva. Uh, thank you, Kylie. It's wonderful being here. Uh, we're so excited to have you here. Um, and I'm going to kick off with the same question that we always start off with, which is, what does spiritual spirituality mean to you, and how does it show up in your everyday life? That is an excellent question. It really is. Um, spirituality... It's something, there's, uh, there's so many different ways to come about that question, but I, I, look, I look at it from a standpoint that I feel like uh, Jesus, for example, was a spiritual person. Mm 
-hmm. but many of his followers are uh, religious. You know, so we kind of have a, a division between these these two uh, two ways of these two words actually. And so I think a lot of people consider themselves spiritual um, and they look at themselves as spiritual beings, but not necessarily religious, you know, people. And so it, it, I think it's an, uh, a real opening, you know, it's a real uh, openness for people to say that they're spiritual because it can mean a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And that's, I guess, probably what we'll be discussing here a little bit about how people treat their spirituality and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, and the, uh, the other part of the question was, again, the other half. Well, how does it show up in your everyday life? And I think the reason we asked that question intentionally is because what we hope to do in this podcast is take some of the airy fairy stuff of spirituality and see if we can ground it into an everyday experience. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the way that I share spirituality and that I know that it's, it's working for me uh, is in different ways, but primarily um, helping people. Uh, you know, I feel that if we had to use another word to describe spirituality, it would probably be, the word love, you know, the, the way that we love and that way that we are loved. And I think when a person really feels loved, love, that is spirituality in itself. If somebody said, well, how do I feel spiritual? Just how do you feel when you're loved? And they, they can feel that spirituality within them. Oh, yes. I think that's, that's so, it's such a good way to simplify it. Because yeah, sometimes spirituality can be such a big word, loaded word, and also can, mm -hmm. can, can, can get conflated with religion. But if we just bring it back to the basics, yeah, it's like, well, you don't have to even worry about doing anything. Like as long as you're loving, then mm. you're doing it. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I have to say, I think it's really beautiful that your immediate association of love, because love can also mean a lot of different things, right? Yeah, but that the, the, I, I think it's really beautiful that your definition of love has to do with helping people. Could you yeah. say a little bit more about that? about sort of how spirituality and helping people in love are all kind of intertwined for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's another word that we could even, we could throw in this, this word soup that we're creating, and, <laughs> and that is uh, inspiration, you know, to, to be inspired. Um, and that ins to help people, that's, where, that's really where I find my inspiration. You know, the more people that I can help, the more inspiration that I feel inside. And it's just kind of a, a, a feedback. Um, you know, everybody helping each other. What a wonderful world, you know, if, we, if everybody could feel that and know that. And I think deep inside, spiritual beings do feel that, you know, and, and of course, that's where that love comes from. Uh, what is more inspiring than love itself? And, and um, you know, it all comes together to, to point to what spirituality is for, for me anyway. And I think it's true for a lot of people, whether, whether they realize it or not. You know. Yeah. Well, with that being said, I think it'd be helpful to kind of dig into your background. And also what I'm really curious about is um, your, how you got started with meditation. And um, because, so I went to your one day meditation retreat and I think I saw a picture of you in you, I think you had a shaved head and you look mm -hmm. like you were doing the monk thing. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I was doing the monk thing for sure. Yeah. So I, can we talk about that? Because I've been dying to ask you since I saw that photo. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see, where do I start? Um, the, I had, uh, I was doing a lot of training uh, in Thailand. 
And um, this started many years ago. Um, I guess I, I was actually talking to, about this to a group last night. I believe I started going to Thailand in 2005. Mm -hmm. And I had been studying here, you know, in, in the United States as far as studying uh, teacher training programs and things like that, you know, to be to be a better teacher and working with uh, people uh, primarily um, in the Tibetan Buddhist uh, area. Um, I had a wonderful teacher called um, uh, Genla Dekyung. She was from the Kadampa Buddhist uh, tradition, and she was a wonderful, wonderful teacher. And I, work, I was working with with her and 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 her people for about three years, and then I started getting interested. And that that's Mahayana Buddhism, by the way. Then I started getting in, interested in uh, in Theravada Buddhism, mm -hmm. and and really the heart. There's two places that are the heart of Theravada Buddhism, and one of them is Sri Lanka, and the other one is Thailand. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about the about the monks that that live in these places they they share uh a lot of the same you know, they share the same practices but they also wear the same robes mm -hmm. and um this type of thing and i ended up going to thailand just i i, I love to travel and it was kind of uh, i was reading a book about thailand and i thought i, I just got to check this out it, it's like the heart of the the spiritual practice of theravada buddhism you know i wanted to go to bangkok and and check out some areas there then I went there and I was, my primary mission was to go down to the southern part of Thailand where Buddhadasa Bhikkhu, a, a very famous monk who has, has passed away, but he has a, a forest tradition temple in southern Thailand. My intention was to go down there, but I ended up going to northern Thailand up in Chiang Mai because they were having some problems in the southern part of Thailand. You know, that's another story. But so I, I, I got very, very lucky. Uh, I ran into a group of people that were running uh, these meditation retreats. Uh, and they were about 100 people would show up for these retreats. And there was, um, you know, half a dozen teachers, you know, very, very good teachers. And um, they, were, they were all uh, lay people. They weren't, they weren't even ordained or monks or anything. But somehow, somehow the, all these people came, came together and felt that these Retreats were so important, and young people, old people, you know, just people from all walks of life, but they were all Thai, and I was the only American there. So I showed up, and they said, are you sure you're in the right place? And, <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, I really want to learn and, and understand what you're doing here. So they introduced me to um, a te the, one of their teachers that spoke fluent English, uh, and he was, he was a marvelous teacher. His name was Ajahn Perot. And we connected very, very well. Uh, he was interested in me, and I was interested in him. And we uh, that set some things going for us. Uh, I I would go to Thailand every October and every April of each year for about six years, I think it was. And in that interim, um, when I came back to the United States, I, I had at that time started meeting a lot of Thai people, and I had a lot of Thai friends and connections. And I probably had more friends in Thailand than I did in the United States, <laughs> you know, because just because of the curiosity and everybody's just, you know, connecting so much. And then uh, the, uh, the king of Thailand mentioned that it was his, um, well, I don't know, not, I can't remember now, maybe 90th birthday. And he was, he held the, the position as king longer than anybody else in, in the world, actually. So it was a um, 
it, it was a it was a date that was coming up that was very very prominent, and he asked that um, five thousand people be ordained as monks, and one particular area that he asked that this happen and. And he, he picked out the temples where they would like to ordain, ordain these people. And one of the temples happened to be in, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And, uh, and it, they, asked, they asked me if I would like to be ordained. Uh, and I said, sure, you know, I, will, I would love to. And so that way. <laughs> Already I'm like, wait, wait. That so many questions. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wait. Okay. He just <laughs> randomly picked a Phoenix, Arizona to. Well, the the, the, temp, the temple here um, was one of the few Thai temples uh, oh, in wow. in the area, oh. and they uh, it was um, a temple that had some uh, some history. Let, let, let's say that it had some history, and um, actually some some of the monks um, had uh, had. Well, they actually, you know, to, to be kind of blunt, they had got murdered at this temple. This is years ago, and oh, wow. after the temple was built, and the monks were there, and there was um, uh, a very sick individual that came in there and, and had raised some problems and killed some of the monks. And so this really hit oh, wow. the Thai people hard, and um, the king remembered this. And so he wanted that temple to ordain as many people as they could find in, in this area. Um, wow, I had no was, idea that Phoenix had this history. Yeah, <laughs> this, yeah. This is amazing. Yeah, it's, it's incredible, yeah. And um, so there's. There, and can there's, I ask too? Were, so were you in between? So so twice a year you were in Thailand, but in in the interim when you were back in the United States, I'm assuming you were sort of actively part of this this temple in Phoenix, or is it just that they knew you were practicing they, meditation and lived nearby? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a, that the, the the latter part of the uh, question. Yeah, they they knew me. Uh, I knew a lot of the people that frequented the temple. I hadn't gone. I had been there, but I wasn't frequenting the, the, the temple all the time. But they um, they got word to me and asked me if I would be interested in, in being ordained, and I said I would. Yeah. So, what does it mean to be ordained as a monk? I don't. What's that like? <laughs> well, there's a ritual. They start by shaving your head, shaving your eyebrows, and um, then they, you wear a white robe for. Um, it's kind of a purification process. You wear a white robe for several days, and then eventually you wear the, the orange robe. Hmm. And uh, so you're a, a full-fledged monk. Um, they were kind of rushed into doing it, you know, mm -hmm. into doing the process to, to honor the king and, and the queen, actually. And uh, the, um, the process, you know, took several days. And it was, a, it was a real learning experience for me. And, of course, needless to say, and then uh, while I was ordained and while I was, you know, a monk, I was doing the chores, you know, helping out with the chores. There was about 12 of us, by the way, maybe, maybe 15 mm -hmm. um, that were ordained at the same time. And so we were doing, helping out the temple, doing chores, but we were also learning a lot from, from the monks and, and working with them. And, um, you know, actually do, studying the sutras or the, or the Buddhist, the Buddhist teachings. And, uh, and then later on, I was also ordained uh, again in Thailand, and uh, that was at a, a temple in in northern Thailand. Um, yeah, I've always imagined that if there was this crazy hazing process, <laughs> you may not call it that, but uh, you know, like this many hours of meditation are required, or um, 
You could only take very cold baths. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like to- uh, kind of torture type things. <laughs> it actually it depends on where you're at. But I had a I had a pretty easy. I really did. But we would uh, we would get up at three o'clock in the morning uh, because we would go to bed very very early, and we would eat about three meals before 12 o'clock in the afternoon, because after 12 o'clock, we, we can't eat anymore. That was rule set up by the Buddha, you know, 2,600 years ago. Yeah. And uh, so it, it, it was really easy for me to, um, to be ordained and to be a monk, but the, the hard part was, is that I wasn't really prepared correctly. In other words, I had too many things, not necessarily attachments, but in, in a way attachments, but you know, I still had a car and I still had a house and I still had all these things that I hadn't, hadn't taken care of. Um, and um, it was very hard to give up the robe and not be, not be ordained anymore. Um, and I, you know, I cried and had tears and everybody else felt bad that I, I was leaving. Um, but at that time, it was, I, I knew it was the, the right thing to do. So how long, how long were you, um, were you a monk during the, like, was, were you, did you live in like a monastery there in Phoenix or like at the yeah. temple? Yeah, it's a temple or a mon- monastery, yeah. you could say. Um, it, in Phoenix here, it was only about a month and uh, abroad, it was more like um, eight months. You know, so, um, you know, a little, little under a year is all. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So. Right, because you do have to give up all your, I guess, worldly possessions, right, in order to... Yeah, those rules are changing a little bit, you know, to kind of fit into society. Um, Some of the monks I know now have cars, uh, and they they certainly don't own a house, but they live in a, you know, in a Mm -hmm. house, in a building. And and, traditionally, a a monk would only own, um, you know, a couple, two two sets of robes, um, a toothbrush, you know, a bowl, um, you know, maybe, you know, so personal items like a bar of soap and, mm-hmm. and things like that, yeah. but not very much, you know, they don't really need too much. And in Thailand, they go out and get their food from the, the lay people, you know, so they don't have to cook or, um, you know, carry money or anything. I think one thing that, uh, fascinating, honestly, it's something that I think I, um, struggle with or, and just want to learn more about is, finding that balance. So I think one of my questions for you is, um, you know, you were in Thailand living a very specific kind of lifestyle and then coming back to the States, how did you integrate that? Isn't that like incredibly confusing or was it? It's a, it's a good question. It, um, and it's kind of a lead into what I do now, actually. Uh, when I came back, my teacher in Thailand said, when, uh, after I'd been going back and forth for a while, he said, now when you go back, I want you to start teaching more. I had been teaching, um, but I wasn't teaching a a lot. It wasn't necessarily on a weekly basis or anything like that. Like now I I teach three or four times a week. Mm -hmm. And back then it was pretty sporadic. So I said, no, that's easier said than done. I I just can't go back to the United States and start teaching meditation. Yeah, did you have like a regular job? You know, uh, I I did. Um, I I worked in a music store. I've always been in the music business up until mm-hmm. about five years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, musical, uh, musical instrument repair is one, one of the things that I really enjoy doing. You know? And um, I've, been do- I've done that all my life. 
any particular, and this is totally an aside, but, but it's not because it's all connected. What any, I'm just curious to know, like what instruments? Saxophones. What are the, oh, okay. Oh, so Saxophones cool. and flutes, clarinets, bassoons. I played the clarinet. All right. Yeah, if you have Badly, any problem, but I played it. If you have any problems with it, let me know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think it's in my parents' attic from, you know, 25 years ago. But. Yeah, yeah. A lot anyway, of them are in the attics. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, but I came back and I started, I, I, a friend of mine that owned a yoga studio said, um, he owns Intervision Yoga, uh, kind of a popular studio here. He said, so what are you doing in Thailand? And I said, well, I'm learning meditation. And he goes, you should come to my yoga studio and teach meditation. And I said, okay. You know, so, you know, how the universe works at, at just like, here you go, and you come in here, you know, every Saturday morning and teach meditation. So I did that, and um, and then I also taught at a few other uh, yoga studios. Then I started uh, teaching at a Buddhist temple in in Mesa, Arizona, called the uh, Arizona International Buddhist Meditation Center, and I've I've been working there for the last ten years now. And what really rounded it off, you know, this this division, this between being a monk. And being a, a, a lay person is in 2011 I was asked to ordain as a Buddhist minister at the um, uh, the Buddhist uh, at a Buddhist ministry in uh, out of um, Los Angeles California they're ordaining people to to be to be a part of this ministry many of the people that I ordained with were uh, in the military particularly the Navy uh, and they were um, Buddhist chaplains you know on the mm -hmm. ships and um, some of the other people were working with hospice, different hospitals, and just to kind of help out the, the, the Buddhist community in the United States. One of our jobs is to help out the monks if they need help. Oh, interesting. So, so in 2011, I, since 2011, I've uh, have been a Buddhist minister. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay, well, this is actually a question that I heard on another podcast. So someone was interviewing uh, Joseph Goldstein, who's also a meditation teacher. Mm -hmm. And the question was, I want to specifically ask you, because you've been doing this for so long now. Um, the question is, what in the teachings is most challenging for you? So where in your own life do you have trouble with applying mindfulness still? You know, even after, because I could easily ask you how has meditation helped? And I think at this point, our listeners probably have a general sense of how meditation can help because we kind of talked about it. But I think it's also, I think I'm more interested in, you know, practicing all these years. Where's, yeah, where's the struggle? <laughs> where's, the, where's the struggle to, to remain mindful, uh, that, that type of thing? Or, yeah. Um, perfectionism is very seductive, right? And so there's this mm -hmm. idea that, okay, if only if I just meditate for an hour every day, Day for 30 years or whatever the thing is, then I will get to a point where I have no more monkey mind or I am always nice to people or like fill in the blank, right? And so I think if I can pull out a little bit. Yes, exactly. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I guess. Um, I want to humanize it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, well, the, you know, the practice of meditation can be frustra frustrating for a lot of people. Um, you know, when we talk about watching our thoughts, watching, you know, where our attention goes and these types of things. And uh, people get frustrated. I hear it again and again where somebody will say that, uh, you know, they'll ask me what I do and I tell them I'm a meditation teacher and they'll say, oh, I, 
I've tried that, uh, but it doesn't work. My mind is too busy. Uh, so in other words, they're putting it out there like they're, they're unique, like they can't meditate because they have a busy mind and nobody else does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're all in that area. We all have busy minds. Uh, it's something that is part of being human, you know, and we've been, we, we've let our minds do what they're going to, what they do ever since we were little children. Uh, we didn't try to change our thinking patterns or watch our thoughts. Uh, this is just something that was brand new to us. You know, it's something that uh, wasn't a part of our, our, our programming, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when we are told to sit still, I mean, even that is very hard for somebody. But if we take somebody off the street and say, you know, sit still for uh, 30 minutes and I'll come back, they'll, they'll look at you like you're crazy. Why should I sit still <laughs> for 30 minutes? And, and do nothing. You mean right. like do nothing? And but when when we sit in meditation, you know, we we have that anticipation that I'm going to sit here for you know whatever uh, whatever time you know we desire, whatever our intention is, and it becomes easier and easier and easier. Uh, it, and just exactly the same way, it becomes easier and easier and easier to to let go of the the, uh, the attachment to our thoughts that we have and let go of. Um, any kind of desire for things to be different than, than what they are. So in other words, we have that uh, acceptance in that moment, and then we're able to let go of the things that we should be, should be letting go of, which is mostly uh, these attachments to things that are, aren't serving us in some way. Yeah. And would you say that you are, feel like you can easily do that in all areas of your life? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, kind of inching back to that question. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Eva really wants to pin you down on this one. (laughs) Well, no, because I I mean, it's all my, I I expect the answer is no, of course you feel attachment. I mean, you're only human, but I think it's more about, um, I mean, or I don't know if you told me that you didn't have any attachments, that would be cool too. Then I'd be like, that's awesome. But I think I just want to know. A part of, a big part of Buddhism that a lot of people don't realize is that the Buddha laid out uh, these things called um, uh, the ten fetters, and these ten fetters are actually steps to awakening. Uh, and that very, uh, and a lot of people don't realize this. There's like there's four primary steps, and and they are uh, a stream enterer, once returner, a non-returner, and an arhat. And oh my god, very- I'm so happy you're talking about this. Yes, I just recently read about this, and I okay, <laughs> okay and I'm I I don't know these terms, so perfect. I yes. will be I'll leave a stand-in for our listener who's like, oh what? Yes, well, yeah. I don't I don't know much about it either, but I am. Um, I would be delighted if you wanted to give us a one-on-one. Sure. Well, sure. The, the, uh, and, and we can't really take it too far without getting it real, very, very complicated. Mm-hmm. But that very first step is the, uh, the uh, identity view, it's called. In other words, uh, it's in Buddhism, we call it selfing. So that every time we want something, there, we are creating a self that needs these things. Every time we want uh, something to be different. It's I that wants it. Um, and so the, you know, and, and it's, it shows up in our language, like I, me, my, and I wish for this to be this way. I want this, I want that. Or the, the, the selfing that is a part of Buddhism in the Western, we could, Western world, we could call it uh, ego, you know, our ego gets in the way, but he, the Buddha was very firm in pointing this out that, we create uh, our own identity. In other words, we create our own existence. We think ourselves into existence by creating this self again and again and again. 
And that is probably the hardest stumbling block for a lot of people because we, even when we wake up in the morning, the first thing that we do is, well, I have to do this. You know, I, I have this appointment. I got to take care of this. I got to take care of this. And, you know, this is, that, that's all after we wake up and go, what day is this? You know, mm-hmm. and then, then the eye starts, you know, we start in that. And that causes a great big, a huge amount of uh, suffering. Suffering for <laughs> us, yeah. Uh, when we are, let's say, under the age of two, we, there's very, very little of that, if any of that. And then, it, it, then it's created. Somebody says, you know, uh, Johnny, you're a very good boy. And all of a sudden there's identity. I'm a boy, okay. And, and Johnny, uh, don't do that, that particular thing he's doing, whatever it might be. And, and or Johnny, put that toy away. That's not yours. And it's like there's a separation between Johnny and the toy. And, and it goes on and on and on to, to adulthood. And, and um, we... I watched, if I could, sorry, just sure, interject. Sure. I, I, it's been really, really fascinating to watch that firsthand with my son. Um, and when he first started like using identifying pronouns like me and you, he would mix them up all the time. Mm. So he would really, he, he used to sing this song that he made up where he would say, carry you, carry you. But what he meant was that he wanted me to carry him. Um, um, Which is just so sweet uh, just because it's cute, but also because I I think it's, it's really interesting looking at it through these, this lens that like, we do go through these developmental phases where we, I mean, where we don't recognize our separation, right? That we, Absolutely. that it, 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 you know, we know, like psychology knows that babies don't recognize that they're separate from their mother. Here's right. the toddler phase where, like you and me, the I'm, I'm starting to form a self, but it's still a little blurry. Um, right. To like, you know, now he's almost three and he has a temper tantrum yeah. because he wants the clicker, like whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the wanting becomes stronger. He's slowly uh, growing out of that at, at, at yeah. age three. But when he's out, like when he's out there playing in the snow that you have, um, he's one with that snow. Yeah. You know, there's no separation between the snow and him. He is, he is one with it, you know? Yeah. And that's, and he's happy. He's very present. He's very still, you know, he's resting in that presence. He's not thinking about the past or the future, which the self does. And uh, he's enjoying life to its fullest. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he's walking through life like he's an awakened being yeah. know, at that young age. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you had mentioned that there were four levels and I felt like I took you off track by, by using the example of my son. So I don't know if you wanted to speak more to those other, um, other steps or if that was your point, in which case Eva, you can ask. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very deep subject. Uh, the first step is stream enter. It's, it's like somebody dipping that kind of tipping their toe in the water. Um, that's, what, that's how the name came out, like entering the stream. Um, and so the stream enter, according to um, the, the idea of rebirth in Buddhism, the stream enter, if a person died as a stream enter, they might they come back uh, and might have eight lives to live, live out. And, and as you can imagine, this gets kind of a deep subject. And then the once returner, would have uh, possibly uh, one life to come back to, the non-returner, no lives, and the erhant is actually an enlightened being that is, would reach full enlightenment at the time of death. And so there's different, um, uh, different what are called uh, uh, fetters um, that we have to break. Uh, the identity view is the first one, 
um, our attachments to uh, rites and rituals, thinking that all I have to do is light three incense sticks each day, and then I'll be I'll be saved. You know that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know to be able to be aware of those, and then you know many different things like to to watch our, uh, our desires and our angers, and our fear, um, and our, our doubt, and and um, it's a it's a subject in itself. You know, yeah. we, we could talk yeah. hours on that, and actually, there's been many books written about it. But it is is actually a kind of a a blueprint or a path that the Buddha, part of the path, I should say, that the Buddha laid out for us and saying that this is possible, that not, not only do you grow up, but can also wake up. Right. Which I think is the, I believe that that is um, our, and again, this is a personal opinion. This isn't truth by any means, but mm-hmm. I do believe that it, that is our primary purpose in life, that everything mm-hmm. else is secondary which isn't bad, you know, like our roles in life or, you know, maybe daughter, mother, grandmother, it's all important. But I think the mm-hmm. waking up is primary and that serves everything else. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think a person has to be ordained to wake up. I think you can be, you can be a grandmother or a mother <laughs> or, you know, all these, all these things. And actually it, there's, there's lots of uh, documents and, and sutras about uh, lay persons, you know, mm-hmm. waking up and being, um, being enlightened. Yes, know. that's one question yeah. I wanted to ask you is that, yeah, yeah. do you believe in the ni- enlightenment? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I think, I, I definitely think that the Buddha was enlightened, that Jesus was enlightened. Uh, you know, a lot of the ascended masters were, were enlightened. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's probably uh, a possibility that I've met some almost awakened or almost enlightened beings or uh, close to being arhat. Um, I don't necessarily have to put any names out there, but these people, when you meet them, they are just feel, I'll go back to the word love. They're just filled with love and they have mm-hmm. loving kindness for, for themselves and for everybody in their life, no matter what. It's just unconditional love for everything. Yeah. And, and they, as a result, they, they have no problems. They understand things. They understand the, the life and the death process, and they understand why somebody gets angry at them, mm-hmm. or why uh, you know why there's fear uh, in this world, and, and all, all these different things. Yeah. So, and Kylie, you got to stop me because I'm just going to keep going, no. <laughs> going at some point. Well, oh, it's beautiful. I have I have this whole like notebook of questions. So I saw this quote the other day. Um, I'm going to read it to you actually because I want to okay. know what you think about this. So the the quote is, "The pathway to enlightenment is barred by the necessity of a passage through hell." Can you say that again? Yes. Okay. So the quote is by Jordan B. Peterson. I don't know who this is, but the pathway to enlightenment is barred by the necessity of a passage through hell. Hmm. To, I, I believe that to a certain extent, it depends on the term uh, or definition of hell, you know, what hell is. But I, I do think that the path to enlightenment is uh, achieved through a certain amount of suffering that we have, that we go through. Um, and it's proven again and again, um, you know, the people that I just referred to, like the Buddha or Jesus um, and, and all the other ones that, that, uh, that we might feel are enlightened if we look at their past, there was suffering, a great deal of suffering. Um, the Buddha almost starved himself before, mm-hmm. um, you know, in his seeking, in his, his quest. Um, he was just, he, the Buddha was actually the, the greatest seeker of all you know people and that's the story that uh, mm. a person seeking you know the, the truth and it was he went through a, a great deal of 
of uh, hardship and, and you know pressure. He left his father's kingdom and and uh, lived in the forest for for years and and almost starved to death. And he finally reached enlightenment through the practice of meditation. And of course, we know the the story of Jesus. I mean, he he didn't have have it too uh, easy <laughs> either, you know, especially when he was crucified. But even when we we, when we look at our own personal lives, when I look at my own personal life, I, I see that the greatest growth I've had spiritually is after real hardship and, yeah. and really difficult times. And you come out of those and you're a new person. That's, that's when we learn the most. And right. I think that it's really important for us to understand that and to realize that these lessons are there for a reason. You know, that the suffering that we go through, there's a reason for that. And it's for us to learn these lessons. And, and you know the the definition of insanity insanity is doing the same thing again and again and again and if we are suffering in, in some way and we don't figure out how and why we are suffering we will suffer again and, mm-hmm. and again and again but if we if we figure out that there's valuable lessons in this stuff and as soon as we realize that there are valuable lessons then the suffering actually stops it's yeah. like it's like bring it on bring it on you know i need i need i want more of this but, but it doesn't come, you know. Um, That's the, interesting. So it's almost as if, because I, I would agree with all of that. And it's almost, I'm hearing you say it's almost as if once we stop avoiding the suffering, then it doesn't really seem like suffering. It's not, it's not suffering so much anymore because it's, there's no resistance against it. Right, right. I think it's the resistance against it that causes all that friction. Yeah. It's just like resistance against pain, you know, and we, and we tense up, you know, and we, um, we, can, we have this um, contraction, uh, you know, against physical pain, it becomes more harsh. Yeah. When we ease up, it, the pain itself eases up. You know, that's just a very simple uh, analogy to look at all forms of suffering that we go through. But there's yeah. res- path of least resistance is, is a real thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. This is a, actually also something that even I have talked about before. Do you feel like, um, you know, in your experience and in your study that suffering is required for spiritual growth, right? Like, is there a way that I, I think one of the reasons in particular that this is interesting to me, um, not just because it would be nice to like not suffer, (laughs) but, but because for me, a lot of my most profound spiritual growth has really been tied up in motherhood, right? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I've had postpartum depression with both of my children so that I've had low points and also like I've never known love and joy like I have, you know, being a mom, right? So I, I, I guess sometimes I wonder, like, is it, is the suffering, requ- and I always struggle with exactly how I want to word this, but like, is the suffering required or is it that we kind of are just, it, we don't move beyond, we're too stuck until we stop. Or like, that's the thing that makes us finally be like, all right, fine, I'll deal with this junk or, uh, you know, I guess, I think maybe you get it. Yeah. what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I do. I, I, I like the word stuck actually, but um, because if, if life is really good, um, we see it all the time. If somebody has it really, really good, they get stuck and they get frustrated and then they start finding uh, unhealthy things to do in, in many cases. But to get back at the, at the real question is like, do we have to have the suffering in order to become awakened or enlightened? I, I don't think there's the, the way that I see it, the way that life is designed, um, I believe in past lives because I, I believe in rebirth. Um, and we have no idea how much suffering that we've done in the past. You know, to, um, we, as far as we know, we could have, it could have been just a horrible, a dreadful life that we've had. 
uh, in the past, and that why, that's why our karma has brought us to where we're at now. We might be living a nice cushy life. Um, some of us aren't, you know, and sometimes things are good, then they turn bad and they get good again, and all sorts of things happen. But it, it's kind of a, um, and the answer falls within the karma, and, and karma is a very tricky, uh, a very tricky area because we don't know what kind of karma that we've actually oh, had in Gary. the past, yeah, that we've had with us, yeah. Can I ask another question? Um, you know, if our aim is to try to put practical, real language around these very, these concepts and experiences that totally exist outside of language, what is enlightenment? Like what is, I mean, obviously like, what when you envision it or, or perhaps have experienced moments of it or whatnot, like what is it? What, what is it beyond a word or beyond this like thing that we've put up on a pillar? Um, I, really, I really look at it as the uh, realizing that the self is an illusion. And it is the self that causes, the, the self that I was referring to earlier, that causes all our suffering and all, all our pain. Uh, it's actually the self like if we were to die now and we were concerned about what's going to happen to this body or what's going to happen to my possessions or my children, you know, which is very easy to do, right? If something would happen to you now, your main concern would be your children. And that would be enough to propel you back into your next life. So enlightenment is to not have that, that next life come up. So to be enlightened, there's, no karma. It's the end of karma. So the actions that you've uh, had in the past, uh, if there's any negativity, like there, everything is up to date, you know, up, up to date conditions. And so no karma, no rebirth, that's enlightenment. And it's all, again, all this karma uh, is created by self and the belief of the self. There's people uh, in the Buddhist sutras that that were not very kind people, you know, that they were actually murderers and they had become uh, enlightened in their lifetime. Even after those, those having those karmic actions, those horrible karmic actions that they did. Um, and they were, were able to erase that simply by going into this emptiness or the selflessness and, um, and working, you know, working with it in that way through the practice of meditation and, and you know, these types of things, you know. The, but but in a nutshell, the end of karma is the end of rebirth, which is enlightenment. So, I think my whether it's my Western mind or my ego or um, the part that you know, even since I was in high school, it like pops up as resistance here goes back to what we were. Which is not to say that I disagree, but just acknowledging the like part of me that's like. Ah! <laughs> um, yeah. So in the beginning we talked about um, uh, love, right? And that spirituality is love. Yeah. And intellectually, the thought of dying and not worrying about my children feels like a lack of love, right? And I, I can feel how that's, I can, I can feel how that's false. And at the same time, that feels very true. So could, could I, could you speak a little bit to how, because I think non-attachment for a lot of people feels like, or sounds in, like impossible. an abandonment of love or yeah. not even impossible. Sure. Definitely. But also in particular an abandonment 
of love because we've conflated love and attachment. Yeah. Well, you know, we are human. We have to understand that we're human. We have these, these, these feelings, especially for a mother, you know, for love for their children. Um, And I do, by the way, feel that most women are more awake than men in, in way, yeah. for, for, for that reason. You know, for, um, I agree with you, by the reason. way. Okay. <laughs> uh, My partner and but, I have this conversation all the time, and yeah. he is a very smart man. He agrees with you. He also thinks okay. women are, are more awakened, and I'm like, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's proven all the time, actually. But, uh, my two cents <laughs> is just that women are allowed access to their emotions more, and if like, like men are allowed to be angry or fine. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, we're we're so so. Whereas so whereas women like young friendships, you are talking about how you're feeling and your emotions. It may not be the most healthy relationship, but or conversation, right? But it's uh, when you're. But it's 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 an exploration of your emotional self mm-hmm. in a way that I think can lend itself towards more and more. Whereas I think men get locked into this space yeah not it's always it's conditioned but, for sure yeah. but i do yeah. think that that conditioning also does stem from some small in part some, some small part to biology which i think is like there's a biology to like testosterone which men have more of i think feels like more strength like strong and also not it's not about exploring like in-depth stuff yeah well, I, I agree yeah i think women are more in tune with their emotions and their body in general you know, there's a lot more women that uh, do yoga, for example, which is a real a body experience, you know. And for that reason, you know, when we, when we want to be present and still in meditation, we go to something in the body almost all the time, like the breath or, you know, a feeling within the body. And, uh, and women have a, seem to have a better, easier time at that, you know. So women can go within, you know, whether it's the body or, or even within, you know, the the, the mind states and, and look at these things. Most of, I think, uh, uh, a lot of times, most of my clients, when I, like when I put on a, a program, sometimes we'll have 40, 50 people there, and I can look out and most of them are women. You know, they're, they're in, in tune with what is happening, you know, with, uh, and sometimes they drag their boyfriends along. And, 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 <laughs> that's but, exactly what happened in my case. <laughs> but, but yes, I do think that's also societal conditioning. I think that's changing because yeah. I'm hoping there's going to be more space. Even right. though I do think it's strange, we're getting off topic here, but I do think it's strange that somehow yeah. the people in position are still men. I've seen that even in spiritual Society. like spiritual positions, it's there's, yeah. yeah, I go to all these yoga classes and meditation things and the attendees are majority women, but they're oftentimes the teachers are men. And I just think that's, I, I think that's very peculiar. Yeah, and, I, I think, and I think that's changing too. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it is changing, but I think it's just society, how, how society is, you know, we almost had a woman president, but not quite there. There's a lot of, now there's a lot of women running for president. We're getting way off topic, now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I think it is changing. And, yeah. you know, getting back to the, to the original question from, from, from Kylie, I think the, it's to be expected, you know, that when we die, to be concerned about our loved ones and that type, you know, um, that doesn't mean that uh, in the next life that you're going to be in that situation. The, the Buddha also, uh, he, he was very uh, clear on saying that everybody will become enlightened at some point. It's just a matter of how many, how many lives it takes us, you know. And I've even heard people say, there's no hurry, you know, just do what you're doing and try to be as awake as you possibly can and 
and it will happen for you. Don't sweat it, you know. Um, so if, if a person is uh, concerned about their children when they die and they feel like, uh, oh, no, now I'm not going to be uh, enlightened because I'm concerned about my children or something, um, that, that's not really a reason for concern. Um, and, you know, it, it is a form of love. It's, it's also a form of attachment. You know, love yeah. can be attachment. So it's, it's very tricky, but it is all, all part of our karma. It's all a part of our makeup, you know. And um, you have the karma to be a woman that has children. That is your mm. karma, you know. Yeah. I, mm. I, I had a dog at one time. You know, so <laughs> I don't have any children. That, and that's, that's my, you know, my karma, you know, this time yeah. around anyway. So it's, it's kind of a deep subject. Yeah. Okay. So here's, I'm going to throw out this banger of a question. Um, something that the Buddha says about enlightenment, which I love so much, is that he tells you what it's not, which is that it's the end of suffering but he doesn't tell you what it is because i think that the idea is that we're meant to find out for ourselves you know like so eckhart tolle says don't ever let someone tell you what it is because like you can only experience it for yourself and that's our quest is to understand what it means like when you wake up what is that and i was just having a, a conversation with a client the other day it's just like I was telling her, like, you're not your thoughts. You're the consciousness beyond your thoughts. But that's really scary because she was like, well, if I'm not my thoughts, then what the heck am I? <laughs> right? And I'm like, well, I think that's kind of it. Like, you're going to meditate and it's for you to experience and find out. And in my experience, um, you know, I, don't, I think language kind of does an injustice, injustice, but in times where I've felt like I'm not identifying with my thoughts because I've been meditating for a while, what happens is I experience a beingness. It's like, you know, and I even said this at the meditation retreat that I went to with you is like, I could feel my body hurting, but I wasn't identifying with the pain because I knew that there was something, I'm something else beyond even physical pain, but I, don't, I can't explain what it is. And I'm curious in your experience, to the best of your ability using, you know, just basic language, what do you think is you are beyond your thoughts? If you're not your thoughts, then, you know, what are you? <laughs> Um, you know, a lot of people would say that word consciousness, you know, they like to use that word consciousness and that type of thing. But I, th the, I, I feel as if we're, a con uh, there is the, the body and mind, you know, so there's, there's this conglomerate, um, aggregate type of thing happening. And the, but when we, when we go back to what the Buddha was saying, he said that there is no self that we can actually point to because, with, without this body, um, you know, we don't, we don't, uh, we can't go from one life to another uh, with a body. The body dies. It just, it just gets worn out like an old cult. You know, so we say, what, so what goes from one life to another? You know, is it, I think that's your, that's your question, so, sort of. Well, kind, I'm asking you right now in your human experience, when, oh, okay. when you, you know, because you talked earlier about how um, the first step is essentially not selfing. Right. Right. And so if we're not, is it possible to be in this lifetime and not over-identify with our thoughts and not self all the time? And because if, and then if we're not doing that, then what are we right now in this, this lifetime? Yeah. yeah just, just presence. <laughs> I, I would say presence. When, mm. when we are, when we're not thinking about the past or the future and we are uh, in this present moment, it could be through concentration it could be uh, just a moment of mindfulness. It could be a moment of, of joy and laughter. You know, we become very, very, very present. 
And that, that's, that's our true essence. That's who we truly are beyond the thinking mind. Um, we spend too much time in the past and future, you know, and, and that's, that is selfing uh, in, in its bare essence right there. Mm -hmm. uh, creating, uh, if we look at our fears, they're located in the future. We're always fearful of the future. We can't be fearful of the present moment. We can't be fearful. It, it, sometimes it seems like it, but when we really investigate it in the present moment, we, we're not fearful. We can't be fearful of the past because it's already happened. We, we, know, we know about that. We can be fearful of something that happened again in the past to happen again in the future, mm -hmm. but, but not in the present moment. Yeah. And then, and then in the past is, is our, um, uh, is our uh, any kind of anger that we might have or resentment or ill will mm -hmm. from something that has happened in the past. So whenever we're thinking in the past and it's not creative or something that is a learned lesson, it is usually some kind of resentment or anger, you know, especially uh, if a person has lived that for a large part of their life. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the other, other side, if we're thinking about the future, if it's not something creative and inspiring, it's usually based on fear. Uh, and I'm pointing to the past and the future like this as if they're, you know, <laughs> back there. But, but is it that, in other words, if we create our own suffering when we're very, very present, and it could be, like I said, laughter. You know, when we're really happy, we're very present. And there is no past or future. And th there's actually none of this. So the self is gone temporarily. And then somebody says, hey, what are you doing? And all of a sudden, the self comes rushing back in. It, it, seems, to follow, it seems to follow our attention and distraction. You know, when we're distracted from being mindful, uh, there's the self. When we're, when we're very mindful, the self is just very, very um, uh, like a shadow, barely there at all. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it appears seemingly leaves altogether. We, like when we're in meditation and everything is going just right. You know? the, yeah. the, self, the self does leave for a while. And then uh, in most cases, for, for myself anyway, it comes back. Yeah. Do you, you, are you, in your bio, one of the many things you do is that you're a grief recovery specialist. And I, I'm curious, I'm, I'm thinking about how you're talking, we're talking about like sometimes you have moments of this, of, you know, kind of transcendent joy where you, the self falls away. But do you feel like grief can have those moments of real presence too? Do you think that they, it, that, that presence specifically belongs to the kind of emotions we put in a, in a, in a good or happy bucket? Yeah. It, th the thing with grief is that, in grief recovery, we're not trying to uh, change the memory of, of what happened to, to cause to call it grief, to put it in that category. But what we're trying to do is change the emotion behind it so it doesn't cause any conflicting you know, problems you know, within, within the mind-body uh, thing. So grief, you know, if we say in that, that whole, when we're doing that work, if we remind ourselves that there are lessons in this grief, you know, and uh, it, it, we can be very present with it even, you know, I think that's what you're, you're kind yeah. of referring to. Uh, it can be very valuable for us because it is, I mean, we're just human yeah. and, and we all experience grief to a certain, certain point, something that we will experience as long as we live, as long as we're alive. Uh, even the loss of our own health, the last loss of, uh, of, um, you know, not only a loved one, but a pet or, 
moving, you know, going from job to job, you know, all relationships. Um, and at the end, you know, there's the greatest loss of all is a loss of our, our life, you know, so we do experience grief and it's all how we look at it and how we treat it. Hmm. And if we see the lessons and work, work with the lessons, I, I believe that, uh, and it, this isn't a, a, a Buddhist word, but the subconscious, you know, what we have stored within the subconscious mind uh, is, is incredible. I mean, it's a storehouse for all of our past and all of our experiences all the events that we've gone through in life are stored within the mind body. And uh, the, the subconscious can be very, um, very useful, but it could also set us back if uh, we remember that it, it thinks it's doing us a favor by hiding a lot of these memories from us. And in hiding these memories, it's also hiding these, these emotions within us. So it's like these emotions are stored within different areas of the body. So if we can't have these things come up out of the surface, we don't have, we can't work with them. But if we have, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes horrible things, you know, can come up. But if we recognize them and recognize that this is something that's coming out of the subconscious or what we could, what we could call insight in meditation, then we have something that we can work with. And mm -hmm. we see that the truth of who we are and the truth of, of what is uh, making this apparatus, this mind and body, you know, do what it does. And, um, and, and it kind of points to how we live our lives, whether we're happy or not happy and on and on. Do you have tools in which you can help people? I don't know if this is related to the, yeah, the work that you do, but for people who don't have repressed memories, is that something that you work with that you are able to help bring awareness to these things? To, to repress memories? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah. A lot of it is through, um, timeline work and um, grief recovery uses timelines. Um, it's, it's not necessarily meditation per se, but it's more action steps that are taken. Uh, if, if you ask a person to write out a timeline from their very first dawn of consciousness, their, their very first memory uh, on one side and today's present date on the other side, and then start writing down all of their uh, uh, negative uh, negative events in their life mm -hmm. and, and just plot them all out. And mm -hmm. then, and then the next step is to ask them to write about it. Uh, you know, a few paragraphs about each one mm -hmm. things will come up. I, I'll guarantee you things will come up. Oh um, my gosh. I not, didn't. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, and it's not only the events themselves, but what happened right before the event and then what happened after the event, you know, just, and so we, we slice up our life from, First dawn of conscious, that first memory to now into different segments and. Wow, um, I wish we this. You're gonna have to come back on our podcast because like. I'd, I'd love to. Because um, I'm like that could be a whole other podcast in itself. I didn't know that yeah, that was a yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, I am super fascinated. I mean, what does? What happens next, right? Like that, that's the that's the other thing about the subconscious is is, you know, yeah. those repressed memories start popping up and. <laughs> there that you there may be a reason you repress there right so so in your work with people how do you how do you sort of cradle them through or or i don't know like give them the tools once things are popping up that maybe they were spending a lot of time not looking at yeah you have to you have to be really gentle with them i mean you, you do you have to we'll go back to the love word you know you want to want to make them feel like they are loved and mm -hmm. understood because when these things come up they can be very shocking for 
for some people yeah. if they're not ready for it. But if you kind of prepare them and let them know that these things are coming up and they're coming up for a reason, um, because you have to be completely open when you do that kind of work. You have to allow these things to come up. Otherwise, it's going to be repressed just like it was, you know, since day one. Um, I had a teacher, uh, I won't say his name right now, but his experience uh, re re with repressed memories and meditation, he was meditating and it came up, it came up out of the blue that he had been sexually abused as a young boy and he had absolutely no idea no idea at all it just it came up to him in like a series of pictures and he saw it and and he was really surprised but he wasn't uh damaged by by you know seeing this because he he, he was expecting it to a certain extent that these things can come up in the form of insights insights are the truth uh the truth of things that that happened and generally it means that that it's the truth to the extent that um not only how you saw it, but how everybody else experienced it and saw it. And um, he said it was very, very healing for him to see this thing, these things come up. And that, that's just through meditation. So it can happen through meditation and through other forms of work. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you're talking about this because hopefully if someone's listening, because I didn't know this was a thing, but I can mm -hmm. imagine, I'm hoping that if this could be helpful for somebody listening. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's called, yeah. um, the, the I, I call it anyway, is... Um, uh, subconscious intervention subconscious. And, and subconscious intervention is, is just that where we're we're having an intervention with um, suppressed memories and sub, the subconscious the buried the things that have been buried for sometimes years and years yeah i think this work is so important too because if you read about repressed memories uh if you if you turn to the Bible that is Google. <laughs> um, you know, most of the first articles that you'll find will will be there's there's a lot of resources and a lot of dialogue out there about how they're not real. And so, if you're someone who feels like you're, you know, you're in the process where you think that you have a repressed memory, you have been there's a lot of doubt that comes up, right? Because you don't want to believe yourself. You've been repressing it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so then when, when the like narrative that you try to tap into also tells you like, no, they're not real things. Um, it makes it even harder to believe yourself. So, um, so I think it's just really powerful medicine that if, if you, if you, if there's something that your body or, or your mind or your heart feels like a repressed memory that, that you feel like it's your body trying to tell you, to honor that and get support in whatever way that looks like, because uh, that's going to come out one way or the other, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Like either the memory comes out or, or the actions that are the anger and the, the grief that are all twisted up inside, they yeah. come out. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's the damage it can cause for us. Yeah. If, if we, uh, you know, it's, it's painful not to have these things come up so that we can work with them. You know, it's first yeah. seeing it, and then uh, and we have to be able to investigate it somehow. That yeah. investigation uh, allows acceptance of it to a certain degree. And a lot of times that acceptance is, wow, was that a valuable lesson for me? It could be something that yeah. simple. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. then we, can, we can let it go to whatever degree that we want to let it go. Yeah. yeah. Shane, you might be hearing from me even after this podcast, because I know that I'm pretty sure I have some repressed memories. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I feel like I grew up with a kind of, problematic childhood. And then I went to a bunch of therapy and it was wonderful. I love therapy. And I would say I like greatly improved my mental health, but then what happened very strangely enough is after I improved my mental health, I couldn't remember a lot of the bad things that happened. 
isn't that weird? I feel like you would think that, um, and I don't, I don't feel like they were repressed. I just feel like, I don't know why, but I, for some reason they just like disappeared. And, but yeah. I've always kind of wanted those memories back actually, oddly enough. I know that sounds strange because they're probably painful memories, but I feel like they're important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think if you found that they came up and were able to remember them, that it would be more of a, you'd, you'd have more of an analytical look at it mm-hmm. rather than, rather than saying that this is, this is the stuff that happened to me, you know, like almost like poor me kind of mm-hmm. thing, but you'd be able to see them for, for what they are. And, uh, as a part of your, really a part of your growth. Yeah. Kind of getting back to that question about, do we have to go through hell in order to reach enlightenment? And, um, yeah, it'll make sense. It'll be like, Oh, well, no wonder I, I'm, I'm this way. And no wonder I like, like doing that. And yeah. yeah. It'd be like, fitting puzzle pieces together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are things that formed your life, yeah. Yeah. So I want to be mindful of time. I, I think I also hear Kylie, do I hear Birdie in the background crying? <laughs> do, you, do, do you hear her? <laughs> she misses her mommy. Yeah, maybe she's hungry. Yeah, Dada's doing his best, but she's uh, she's no fool. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's, he's a one-man show At 10 there. o'clock at night, he's, uh, oh. he doesn't have the magic. Uh, yeah. Food. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I could ask a million more questions, but I think we'll have to save it for maybe another time. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should we should conclude with our 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 final uh, what what's bringing you joy. So I'll kick it over to you, Shane. What brings me joy? Wow. Or in the at mo- in the moment, right? Like right these days. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's it's. I think we were actually talking about it just a few moments ago. I work with a lot of people privately and with groups. Um, the I'm kind of leaning more towards working with people uh, on an individual basis because those are the people that, that when they contact me, they need the most help. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I can really, I, 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 uh, I have a lot of confidence that I can help people. And then when I, when I can do that, I, uh, you know, the client walks out and I just, you know, everybody just feels wonderful, you know, and it's one of those, Things. So a lot of the work I'm doing right now is, is writing um, different programs kind of along the lines of, as I was talking about, um, working with, with timelines and taking the grief recovery to another, uh, to another step and not only working with loss, but working with the area of the subconscious where things are lost, you know, and, and that we can find them. So what brings me joy in the moment is just helping people. Yeah, which is a throwback to or callback to your original question, which is that being of service and that being a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ex- <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'll jump in. I have a much less profound answer. <laughs> um, yeah. What is bringing me joy these days is funny because um, I also just put up a shop on my website where I list a bunch of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. And I was realizing that something that actually has been bringing me joy is stuff. Which is, a, which is a very unlikely answer for me because usually I'm very like very anti-establishment. I'm like, I'm like, I'm trying to leave the minimalist life. But I think I just got to say there's something to be said about the perfect teacup or the cozy blanket or the sweater that just fits perfectly or that one face lotion that you love. Just like the little things. I think they're, yeah, I agree. I'm not trying to promote too much materialism, but I'm not going to lie. Sometimes my coffee, my, my tea mug in the morning, it really brings me joy because it's like, (laughs) it's just the perfect one. It's the perfect size and it keeps my drink warm and it brings me joy. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but you have to look at the level of attachment. Uh, right. I, I mean, would, would that, if that cup was taken away from you, would you shrivel up in a little ball and, and, and you know, <laughs> right. uh, probably, probably not. You mm -hmm. would probably just go out and get another one. Or, right. Yeah, you know. exactly. I think, I think that's a conversation that you know, that took me a while to learn. You know, I used to think that desire was bad. And I was like, no, 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 desire is fine. I think it's just, can, what, what is your level of attachment? If it's exactly. the attachment that causes the suffering, if you're not attached, exactly. then, then enjoy it, then, then enjoy the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we are human. And, you know, the, I, 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 the Buddha said that we, we suffer because of our desires, but it's, it's more, uh, I, I really feel it's more because we, we suffer because of our desire for things to be different, and, mm -hmm. which means that it has a great deal to do with attachment. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right. And then last but not least, and then I have to go rescue my little baby, uh, <laughs> is um, today was my first son, my son's very first day of preschool. Oh my goodness. So, wow. so stinking cute. He <laughs> uh, was very sad to go. He made me promise to sit on the stairs outside of school while he was in school. Like he, because I told him I couldn't come in with him. So he's like, okay, mama. Mama, you sit outside on the stairs. Um, I did not. Uh, little did he know I was working from the Dunkin' Donuts five minutes down the street. Um, and by the time I went to pick him up, he didn't even want to leave. I had to like practically carry him back to the car. Oh, that's so good. Um, he, good. Like, yeah, exactly. He didn't even look back. He just had the most fun. And his teacher was like saying, because he's starting at like a funny time of the year, but they had an opening. And so she was like, it's like he's been here for months. Like it just oh, was, wow. he just totally took to it. And so it made me. Yeah, that's good really news. Because that's not usually the case. I mean, I know when I went to, I literally stuck my head between two bars, uh, some like the second day of preschool, because I didn't want to go back. So yeah, I mean, who knows? Sometimes <laughs> the second day is worse, but like he just, it just warms my heart so much to see him um, like this is a new adventure for him and see him like growing in his like independence. And uh, it's just, it's really cool and sweet. Um, yeah. I so. can see that being very joyful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Shane, do you want to share where we can find you? Uh, yes. Um, there's three, there's three websites that are pretty, pretty prominent. Um, of course the meditation learning center uh, is a, the center that I started in 2001 um, has a the website has lots of online things. If people are not in the area, the Mesa or Phoenix area. Um, so it's the meditation center, learningcenter.com. Meditationlearningcenter.com. Okay. Yes. Uh, the other one, my personal work is shanewilson.org. And um, the, the third one is a meditation uh, teacher training dot online. And that's, uh, the, we didn't even talk about that, but it's a teacher training program that, that I uh, developed about seven years ago. Um, it's an exclusive online training where people can train online to teach meditation to others. That's Thousands awesome. of people have gone through it. That's great. Uh, also, there's a YouTube channel, Shane Wilson, uh, probably best to go Shane Wilson Meditation, and then you, you land right on there. There's hundreds of videos. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, Insight Timer also. Mm -hmm. Uh, is something that people can get. Uh, it's an app that a lot of people know about on the phone, and and uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful tool for meditation. And I'm one of the uh, um, published instructors on Insight Timer. Yeah, so. I, I, I so for anyone listening, I have listened to Shane's meditations on Insight Timer, and I thought they were great. So if you're looking for a specific wonderful. instructor, you can look him up on Insight Timer. Thank you for the plug. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> 
And as always, um, you can find me, Eva, on Instagram at badbitchliving or evaliao.com, which is my website. And our uh, podcast website is helluniversepod.com. Our Instagram is helluniversepod. And then if you want to follow me, it's at Akashic Grace. Um, and then my website is akashicgrace.org where I do um, uh, Akash- Akashic Records readings, but also um, I do a monthly reading for my newsletter group that's just for for everyone who's subscribed and it's really beautiful and actually um i'm going to start doing um a guided meditation to go out with that so the monthly message has a theme and then there's going to be a guided meditation um to support that theme so you can sort of integrate it uh throughout the month that's your jam sign up y'all so yes. cool. Oh, so. and also work plugging things. I'm also going to, yeah, plug my, my shop on my website. I list a bunch of my favorite things, including my cup and my blanket <laughs> that I was referring yeah. to. So you can find that there. All right. Thank you, Shane, so much. My and pleasure. Thank you for everyone listening. If you could like and subscribe or leave a, leave a comment. Yeah, leave some feedback. That'd be super, super helpful. Yes. Sure. <laughs> and yeah. we are... I was just going to say thank you so much for having me on the program. It's really been yeah. fun talking with you girls. So grateful to have you. Thank you so much for your time and your insights. This, is, this has been really great. Yeah, we would love to have you back anytime. Anytime, anytime. All right. All right. Bye, Bye-bye. y'all. Thank you.